I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. We'll be continuing our conversation on healthy relationships, how to recognize one, how to watch out for things that could be uh, becoming dangerous to teens primarily. We're looking at teens and and children who somehow get involved or, or connected to abusive relationships, whether from home or from school. Tori is with us today. And Tori, if you could introduce yourself first, I don't want to get your title uh, incorrect. <laughs> it's okay. Um, again, my name is Tori. I am the child advocate with DACES. I'm also the prevention education coordinator, um, the child advocate for DACES. So my main role, I, I am primarily in the shelter. I work with the children and the families that may need to um, flee a situation so they come into our shelter. So um, as an advocate already may assist the parent, I will assist the children. I do a child needs assessment to see um, what that child may need if they it's obviously seeing what has um, happened. I talk with the child and the mom to see what we can do if we need to create a safety plan for them. Um, they need if they need child care to switch schools, if they need transportation to schools, if they need immunization shots. So anything that they may need. So we ask the parents for that, um, as well as maybe providing child care if the parent may have um, someone come in for a meeting for them, um, activities for kids. On Wednesdays, we have a group. So while we have the women's group, I provide the child care for the children as well. And we do activities that pertain a little bit to domestic violence. Um, pertaining, it depends on what the parents are comfortable with me talking to them about. Right. Are, are, is the parent sometimes there with you or do you separate the the children away? During or? The, um, the assessment? Mm -hmm. The initial assessment, the parent is usually there with me, depending on the age of the child. So mm -hmm. as a, with a teenager, I will talk to the parent and the child, but then I'll have a separate conversation with the child as well. And throughout their stay at the shelter, I'll talk to the child to see what their experience is. And um, if there's something that I think the parent needs to know, mm -hmm. like that's um, dangerous or something, I will let the parent know, but I will let the child know as well so that won't break that confidentiality with them on the prevention education part so healthy relationships is the name of our program at DACES I go into high schools and middle schools and we provide this program it's about three to four days we talk about domestic violence sexual assault bystander intervention and um, online predators so giving them the information of what dating violence relationship looks like um, what a healthy relationship should look like what um, the definition of sexual assault, the laws regarding sexual assault, bystander intervention, how to be a good bystander, what a um, what a aggravating bystander may look like. 
So that is part of what our program is. So maybe you could expand a little bit on that. What would an aggravating bystander be? An aggravating bystander would be someone who sees a situation happening and they intervene, but they don't make the situation better. So they may... Um, like maybe make the, the predator angry. At, yeah, make oh. the predator angry. Depending on what it is, it can it doesn't have to be a dating violence situation. It can be anything from a school fight or seeing someone on the street. So someone that intervenes but doesn't make the situation any better. Mm-hmm. They make it mm-hmm. worse. Right. Sometimes like if I've been in the grocery store and I'm thinking, ah, I think that parent is maybe a little too angry or something (laughs) but there's almost a fear there because you don't don't want to intervene and Mm -hmm. make it worse for the child so then you're that bystander that may not do anything so you have the ones that ignore a situation they actually do intervene that will help it or they intervene and it aggravates the situation so if you're in that situation what do you advise people to do so if you if you're in a school and you may see um say you see a couple or one of them is your friend we wouldn't advise you to go and approach that abuser or the victim while that is assault is going on if you see that it's getting very dangerous you may go to a trusted adult that's in the school maybe the principal or a teacher and see if they can intervene in the situation but we definitely don't recommend the child going to it maybe you may talk to your friend afterwards Mm -hmm. to see if they may need help um just to help them out but never to intervene during the situation because it'll either embarrass the victim or make the abuser very angry or yeah embarrass the abuser which yeah. could lead to something really bad i would think mhm mhm so when you go into high schools and you talk with classes i'm assuming you don't talk one on one with students usually your first time into a high school group mm-hmm. um what obviously you're giving them lots of information What kinds of follow-ups do you have with with some students that you may have talked to in a large group? So I have had some students that come up to me after classes and ask me questions about their own situations. Um, Depending on the the topic or what they're asking, I could give um, resources right then and there. If they have something they want to talk deeper about, I usually give them my card. I have had a couple of students where I I go to their high school and I see them personally because they either have been affected by teenage violence or sexual assault. So I do supportive counseling with them. If they were affected during the program, I usually try to, um, if there's a teacher in the classroom, address it with the teacher. If they need to step out, they can. Um, after the program, if they want to talk to me, we can set that up as well, or we can set up resources, or not resources, but a time to talk on the phone or to come into um, our admin office and talk with an advocate. Great. So what got you interested in doing this kind of work, child advocacy? Um, so originally, I didn't specifically want to work with children, mm-hmm. um, but I knew that I wanted to be an advocate for domestic violence. I myself am a, a survivor of teen dating violence. So when I was, um, let me just go straight into, when I was 17, I met a guy in my senior year of high school. Very, very charming, um, very cute. I don't know if you know who Drake is, but he looks just like the rapper Drake. <laughs> so he, now, why would I, you look at this little old lady and not assume I knew who he was? You never know. Um, but so he's very attractive. Um, I met him through a friend at a basketball game. Um, we met that night. We exchanged numbers. We started. We went on a, a one date. Um, he's very, very nice, uh, a gentleman. And we hit it off immediately. So we became pretty much inseparable. We talked every day, all day. And also, he was already, he had already graduated high school. So he was a freshman in college. 
Um, Which always makes, you know, a, a high school girl saying, oh, yes, my boyfriend's uh-huh, in college. That's uh-huh. always a plus. Yeah. He was the first guy that, that had a car, that had a job, and that was in college. Right. So all of that just, of course, attracted me even more. Um, so, of course, my senior year, I have a little bit more freedom. My mom was kind of strict, though, so I didn't have that much freedom. But when she saw that I really liked this guy, she kind of let me hang out with him a lot. Um, so we hung out. I want to say after two months, we made it official that we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, this, of course, my senior year, so I asked him out to my prom. When we first met, I did tell him that I already applied to go to Western Michigan University. So he knew that I was moving away two hours from my home. So he knew that that was going to happen in this relationship. He was fine with it in the beginning. Um, throughout that time, there wasn't I didn't see too much that was scary to me or anything that would be a red flag. Um, he would he would call me a lot and, t- and text and talk to me a lot, but I thought, you know, obviously, like, you know, we just met, we're and like with each other, we want to talk all the time. Um, I had, I, well, I still have a male best friend. That was the first problem that arrived, arose in our, rela- our relationship. He didn't feel comfortable with the male best friend. So he would bring up little things about me talking to him on the phone at certain times of the day or at night or me trying to hang out with him. Um, I kind of, in my mind, I understood that. I said, well, I mean, he's a male, I'm a female, so mm-hmm. of course he would feel like, you know, something's going on. But I kind of reassured that there was nothing. That didn't really work, but he kind of moved away from that situation. After prom, we were good. Things didn't really start getting heated until that summer before I moved to Western. So because I was out of school, um, I didn't have a job at the time. I spent most of my time with him. My mom was a little upset with it, but she still let it happen. Um, She actually started allowing me to go spend a night at his house. So I would be with him majority of the time, and I would invite him to my family functions. He would come sometimes, or sometimes he may be at work. Um, during that summer, we kind of start arguing a lot. I could tell that it was maybe because I was moving away towards um, mm-hmm. the fall. We argued about me being somewhere, me not texting him back, me not picking up the phone when he called. No matter if I was taking a nap or I was sleeping, he just didn't believe those things were happening, which is pretty normal to take a nap in the middle of the day or just not pick up the phone or not text back because I'm busy at the time. The first... Um, incident that um kind of scared me was that august i went to we went to a party with for his sister it was a hotel party she turned in 25 at this time i'm 18 he is 19 so we're not allowed to go to the casino which was where the hotel was at we went to the hotel we stayed there while they went to the casino we were underage drinking and he um wanted to have sex i at this time i didn't want to have sex i just was like no i'm chilling we're just watching tv that's fine with me he got upset, and he immediately accused me of having sex with someone else because I didn't want to have sex with him. So we're in a big argument. I'm getting called names, um, names you can't even imagine. We're going back and forth, and uh, he ends up in the other room still drinking while I'm just watching TV. By this time, his sister and her friends come back. They notice that it's a little, a little tension. Immediately, she asks, you know, what's going on? He blames me for everything and says I'm cheating on him, blah, blah, blah. Situation goes further. So she takes me out the room. Um, she asked me what's going on, and I explained to her how he just blew up in my face. He's upset. I just wanted to relax today, and he's just upset. So she re- um, recommends that we go home. This is about 2, almost 3 o'clock in the morning at this time. And he's your ride home? Yes. Okay. So he's my ride home. So we get in the car. Obviously, he's drunk. Um, 
So while we're in the car silent for a little bit, he gets mad that I'm not talking to him, and he threatens to pull me out the car. He actually parks the car in the middle of the street. This is downtown Detroit, and tells me to get out the car. So I say, no, I'm not get out the car. It's almost 3 o'clock in the morning. Where would I go? Um, we argue about that for a little bit, and he ends up saying, okay, I'll just take you home. I told him I didn't want to go home at this time of the night because my mom will be upset with me. So I went to his house. Went to his house. We sat there for a little bit. I think we fell asleep for maybe for an hour. He wakes up, gets instantly mad about something. I believe he was actually trying to have sex with me again. I didn't want to. We had just had a big argument, and I just wasn't in the mood for that. He took my phone and said he was going to call my mom. I'm like, well, what are you going to call my mom for? What is that going to do? So we're arguing about that, and he takes my phone, and I try to grab it from him. He pushes me. I fall to the floor, and the first, the first thing I do, I get up and I push him back. The next time he pushed me and I was not able to get off the floor because he was thumping me into my chest. Oh. He still had on his shoes at this point. Oh my. His mom was upstairs. She didn't hear it for a while. So he's thumping me in my chest and kicking me. She finally comes down. Now, at this point, you would think that if someone sees their mom, they will stop. He didn't stop. It took her grabbing him off of me to him, for him to finally stop. Thank goodness she was there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what would have happened if she wasn't there. Um, but her initial reaction as soon as she saw the bottle of liquor was, see, you guys shouldn't be drinking. This is why this is happening, because you're drinking. So I called my friend because I didn't want to call my mom. I called her to come pick me up. She picks me up, and he's arguing with me, like, don't leave, don't leave. If you leave, you will never come back. And the mom is like, you know, just let her go, let her leave. So I leave with my friend. I'm explaining to her what's happened. I had never told her of um the excessive text message and the calling and the accusing me of anything before because I just thought it was a normal part of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which I is something, just I don't want to interrupt you, no, but fine. those of who are listening need to realize that this is not a normal part of a relationship mm-hmm. and that if this is happening to you, please take it as a red flag. Yeah, because that's one thing I didn't notice, the excessive calling, the excessive text messaging, the um, not wanting me to hang out with my male friends, it, it was a lot going on in the beginning that I didn't even notice. So um, I get home. I tell my mom we just had an argument. She asks, is everything okay? I didn't tell her about the physical stuff because I wasn't sure what I was going to do about the relationship. Um, she just told me to stay home. But her his sister ended up coming to get me and talking to me. She had been through the same thing with her ex-boyfriend. Hmm. So she suggested to me that I not talk to my mom about it yet because I'm not sure what I want to do. Sometimes parents can be a little crazy, and you're not sure well, what your parents are going to do. Sure. Um, so I agreed with her. I ended up going with her that day um, to spend a day with her and her friends. Of course, we get back to her house, and he's there. He's talking to me. I'm not really paying any, any attention. We end up going to dinner, and, of course, the first thing he tells me is that it will never happen again. I was drunk. This is That's the reason why it happened. I'm so sorry. You know I love you as many excuses as he could say and for me that was the first time the physical stuff had ever happened so I'm like okay I believe you you're making a promise to me we'll get through this it goes on a few weeks later I moved to western he comes up with me to um, help me move in we're good that week he stays for about a few days with me he has some friends up there as well the day that he left is when it started to get a little worse so all throughout like elementary school, middle school, high school, I've always been a good student as far as academically wise. So I didn't think that I would struggle that much my freshman year. Um, When he left, he excessively called me. Even during classes, there would be times where I would leave class because he's calling me so much 
and I, that I couldn't pay attention to my professor. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where I couldn't study at night because he was calling me and texting me so much. If I wasn't talking to him, I was talking to another guy or I was in a room with another guy. So I went up there with about 10 friends from my high school. We had, He knew them, met them um, previously, so he knew who I was going to sc- um, school with. Um, one night he comes up there, I want to say this is October, and we're all in a dorm room, again, underage drinking, which I don't condone because things like this happen. Um, he he gets to a point where he's upset because one of the, my friends are, is telling him to be quiet because we were too loud. He pushes her, but her brother's in there, so they get upset. Um, the, police is, the police are called, and I try to tell him to calm down because they're obviously going to take her word over yours. He thinks that I'm taking her side. He gets upset, and he runs away. So I follow him. Um, fast forward the next day, um, I didn't really talk to my friends about the situation at all. He had already put in my head that my friends were not for me, that they were against me, they they were sluts, they were somebody, they were people that I shouldn't be hanging around, or they were talking about me behind my back. So by me being with him most of the time, I kind of listened to that, and I'm like, okay, I would. It's like I saw the, I saw things because he put it into my head, mm-hmm. not knowing that that's what was going on. So after that situation, when they were kind of blaming me for everything, I was like, okay, well, we don't need to be friends. So my first semester at college, I lost a good chunk of friends because I chose the guy over them. I thought that he was right for me, and they weren't. So even though he wasn't physically in the place where you were, his isolation was still able to happen yeah he was he didn't live up there with me he would visit me quite a few but it was I don't know why it was so easy to happen I was just I want to say it was my first real relationship and I hadn't seen what an example looks like of a healthy relationship so we go into the rest of the year my roommate actually moves out because of the excessive arguing over the phone that we have oh, wow. i would try to leave the dorm room sometimes to argue with him but it she was still here so she decided to move out she didn't tell me that but i knew that's why why she moved out so i'm not i don't have any friends um and i lost my roommate at the end of the semester my gpa had went from a 4.0 to a 1.6 because I wasn't studying. There were times where I would skip class because I was up so late arguing with him. Or if he visited me, I wouldn't go to class because he would want me to be with him 24-7. I go home for Christmas break. Um, another, the next, This is the next situation that was physical. We ended up at a hotel room again with his best friend and um, his girlfriend. We're talking, we're drinking, and I can't remember why we started arguing. But I know the when he hit me, it was like... Something in my mind was like, this is not about to happen again. So we were both tussling at this point. We're both bleeding. There's bruises on both of us. Um, we end up in the bathroom talking. and it's, that, that one is a little blurry to me still. All I remember is him taking me home. And I don't remember how we got through that one. I feel like it was probably the same conversation. I would never do it again. I was drunk because he was drunk. And any time it was physical, it was when he was drinking. So I went back to school. And after... I had, I had joined a dance team, so I did make some new friends. I joined a dance team, and I actually started to go to events because I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't social, and I'm a naturally social person. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to events outside of going to classes or anything like that. So once I joined the dance team, everything changed. Um, I would be at practice. He would be blowing my phone up constantly. And there are times we had late practices. He didn't believe me because that just doesn't happen in his mind. Um, so after about a month, I decided that we need to just take a break, and this would be... Um, 
that that's would be healthy for us. We take this break. He has friends up there, right? So he's telling me that he got friends watching me. He's making up rumors saying that they said they saw you doing this and doing that. Um, there would be text messages that were very, very, very rude, very explicit. Him telling me that he, um, to tell the guy that I'm sleeping with that he did this with me, but I'm not sleeping with anyone. Right. I'm not even, I didn't even feel safe to give another guy my number. Um, so for a while, we kind of not talked. I moved back, obviously, for the summer in April. He visited me that week, and we kind of talked. At this point, he had said he had changed. He was more calm. He knew his actions and what he shouldn't do. So he started buying me things. He would take me shopping. We would go to the movies. We would go out to eat, doing anything that I would like to do so I could get back into the relationship. Um, my mom didn't like it because I came home. I didn't find a job yet, obviously, because I was with him all the time. We That lasted about two months. Um, the last situation is what probably um, broke me the most. So this ended up being at a hotel room. I don't know why we were all at a hotel room. But so that would be one thing to tell teens. Yes, you know, the, be places the hotel room, with, the underage yeah, drinking. Yeah. Um, Getting time, in a car with someone who's been drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here today. I am so glad you're physically here today because this story could have ended up worse than it even is. It could have. Um, I actually want to go backwards. So before I, before the end of my freshman year, he had called me in the middle of the night, maybe like around February, and said that he ran into my best friend, which was the male, at a concert. So I'm like, okay. He said, he said yeah, he told me that um, you guys had sex before. Why didn't you tell me that? I said, no, he couldn't have possibly told you that because that never happened. He's like, no, I saw him. He told me this. So I called my best friend up. I'm like, did you tell him this? Like, why would you tell him something that didn't happen? He's like, I never saw him. I haven't seen him in months. So I called him back, and he's, like, getting me to really believe this story. So he gives me an ultimatum. Well, are you going to keep your friend or are you going to be with me? At this point, I'm so deep into I make the decision of not being friends with him. So I cut him off. I didn't call him. I didn't text him. I wouldn't answer none of his calls. Um, I think I deleted him off social media at that time as well just to please him. Mm-hmm. This is be- right before we had our break. So fast forward to that. Fast forward back to me moving back. We're um, going out a lot. He's buying me clothes, shoes, bracelets, everything. Back to the hotel room for, I think, his best friend's birthday. We're drinking, and at this point, he's, like, drinking just straight cups of alcohol. No juice, no pop, no mixing, just straight cups of alcohol. I don't think I was drinking at that time because I just didn't want to. I fell asleep because I was tired, and I woke up. Is it okay to curse? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. Um, I woke up to him yelling, this bitch just fell asleep on me. So I was like, what happened and he's yelling at me and yelling at his friends he's mad he's angry and i'm embarrassed because he's yelling at me in front of his friends so i walk out the hotel room the hotel room had it wasn't like inside of a building the door was outside Mm -hmm. so i walk out i'm barefoot i don't know where i thought i was going um but it's just to get away from him so he's following me his best friend is following me and he starts running towards me, so I run the other way. And all I can remember is that he pushed me, and I slid across the parking lot. Oh. And I blacked out, and I remember his friend picking me up because he said that I was going to run towards him. So his friend picked me up, put me back in the room, and put me in bed. I don't remember what happened in between all of that because I blacked out. 
I woke up the next morning to use the bathroom, and um, when I went to use the bathroom, I noticed that there were bruises on my knees and on my ankles and on my foot. I didn't notice anything else. So I went out there, and I, I woke him up to take me home right now. Um, he didn't want to take me home. I said, no, take me home right now. The hotel is about 20 minutes away from my house, so the whole ride there, I'm not talking to him. He's like, you know, you want to go eat? Want to do I'm like, no, I want to go home. So he takes me home. At this point, nobody's at the house. So I was like, you know, can we just talk, please? Can we just talk? So we walk into my house in my living room, and we're talking. I had to go use the bathroom. I noticed that my shoulders were hurting. So I pulled my shirt down, and there's a bruise from the left side of my shoulder all the way to the right side of my shoulder. It's purple. Oh, um, so I walk out and I ask him, I said, what happened last night? Like it couldn't have just been a push. And he said that all he did was push me and nothing else happened. I can't remember everything that happened. So I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm not believing him, but I'm like, something else happened. So we're having a conversation like, you know, you don't understand what you're doing. Like this is continuously happening. And he's like, you know, I'm just sorry. He actually has no words to kind of to say at this point, which was kind of scary to me. So my brother, my cousin, and three of their friends walk in, and they see us talking. So I ask him to just come to my room, and we'll talk. We're talking, and um, he decides. I, I, I just tell him to sleep because there's nothing else I had to say. So he left. And I think, I don't know if he told us something, something to his sister, but his sister ended up calling me asking me what happened. I explained it to her. His mom called me asking me what happened. I explained it to her as well. I told his mom this was not obviously the first time because she saw the first time that it happened so this is the third time you didn't know about the other incident but this is the third time that he's been physical with me so um he's texting me this whole time while i'm talking to his mom and his sister telling me he's going to come over my house i'm telling him do not come over my house i told him repeatedly do not show up at my house because i do not need you here right now they couldn't stop him um, from coming over so they did tell me that he had left the house they didn't know where he was going so I had already showered, got my clothes on, I'm in a bathroom. My little brother runs in and says, you know, Tori, he, you know, such and such is here. And I'm like, okay. So I didn't tell my brother what was going on. He had to be like eight at the time. So he took the liberty to walk into my house without me going to the door. He walks into my house. My parents aren't home at the time and my brother's in my outside playing. So he walks into the house and he comes straight to the bathroom. The first thing he says is, oh, you about to go over some dude house? I'm like... No, I just had the worst night of my life with you. There is no way I'm going anywhere. I had on a T-shirt and some jeans. I'm I'm just getting dressed to calm myself down. He argues with me. I push him into my room so we can talk. He's going back and forth. He grabs my phone because his sister called again. He threw it at my wall. So I pick it up. I think I called him crazy, and I put it back together. And we start. We sit on my bed, and we're, he's just yelling at me, but we're whispering. It's like it's a silent argument. At this point, my mom and my stepdad walk in. My mom, um, she comes to our room and just says, you know, hey. And I'm like, hey. I could see on her face that she knew something was going on. She's like, you know, are you, what's going on? I'm like, nothing. We're just talking. And she's like, okay. And then she looks at me, and she walks out, and she goes up to her room. So... I tell, him, I tell him, let's go outside. So my brother, my cousin, and three of their friends are sitting in the living room. There's a big picture window. So we're outside. His sister calls me again while we're arguing, and I answer the phone. So he smacks the phone on my hand. It falls into the street. He picks it up, throws it back down. Picks it up, throws it back down, and picks it up one more time and throws it back down, and it is in millions of pieces all over the street. My cousin saw this out the window, so he immediately goes to the door and says, you know, what's going on? He blames me. Oh, she hit me. You ain't just see that? You know, she hit me. It's all her fault just going off on me. So my cousin's like, no, I saw what you did. So my brother, I didn't know that my brother had a problem with him this whole time. So this was 
probably the wrong time for him to be over there. My brother walks out. My brother is a very laid back, cool, calm person. He walks out and he's like, hey, you need to leave. Just go home. He like, no, she did this and she did that. Actually, I need all my stuff that I bought you back. So I'm like, I'm not about to go in there and look for everything you bought me. You know, just leave. My brother said, you just need to leave. He wouldn't leave. So he takes his glasses off. That's when I knew it was over. Takes his glasses off, puts them on the porch. He steps down to where me and him are standing and gets in his face and tells him, like, you need to leave. You're trespassing. My sister don't want you here. I don't want you here. And they start arguing. We get into the street somehow, which is going towards his car. It's me. It's um, I'm in between him and my brother just trying to get, get them to not fight. Next thing you know, my ex-boyfriend, he throws the first punch. So my bro- my cousin and the three friends on the porch, that's all they see is us tussling on the ground. So they immediately run to the street, and they end up jumping him. So it's him getting jumped by five different people. I obviously don't want this to happen. And in Detroit, as soon as you hear something, everybody runs outside. So mm-hmm. then everybody runs outside. They're looking at the whole situation going on. I'm in the middle of the street. I think I was having a panic attack. I couldn't breathe. Um, I just laid on the ground. My stepdad finally heard what was going on, and he walked outside. I'm thinking he's going to stop it. He's standing there. So I was like, you got to stop them. Like, stop them. So he stood there for a minute, and he finally stopped them and got them up. When I knew something was wrong with this man is when he got up, and the first thing that he said with the bloody nose running down his face was that, Tori, you know I love you. And I, that scared me the most was the fact that as soon as you got up from somebody jumping you, that's what you thought about. I was expecting him to be angry. Um, right. It it was it was just really scary. So my mom finally walked out and she's like yelling at him, telling him he needs to leave. She tells me to go in the house. At this time, his sister and his mom supposed to be on the way. Actually, I walk in the house. My mom and my stepdad are talking to him, trying to figure out what's going on, telling him to leave. Takes about ten minutes for him to actually leave my house. Right after he leaves, his sister and his mom pulls up. My stepdad did not let me go out there and talk to them. So he tells them what happened. He tells about my phone, and um, he did he did not tell them that he got jumped. So the mother agreed to pay for my phone, say that, you know, the situation would be handled. Two days later, no, the next night she ended up calling me, you know, like, well, you didn't tell me that, you know, he was mm-hmm. jumped. And I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't know what my stepdad told you. So she didn't want to talk to me. She didn't want to pay for the phone. She completely disowned me, um, which, I mean, I kind of understood that's your son. You're going to have your son's back. But this was our relationship was kind of terrible. So, um, after that, I deleted him uh, on my phone, on social media and everything. I think I still had him on Twitter, though. He ended up follow- finding me on Twitter and messaging me, telling me he's sorry, he wants to pay for my phone. He just, every day, messaging me. So, at this point, I did need a phone. My mom couldn't afford it. I was starting a job, so I, I did need to have a phone. His best friend agreed to just bring me the money. His best friend shows up, but he shows up with him, two houses down from my house. I I go to meet them, and he's sitting out the car. I am standing more than, I don't know, five feet away from him because I didn't want to talk to him. I couldn't even look him in his face, and he was disappointed that I couldn't even look him in his face. He started with this sob story saying that he couldn't go to work because of his leg and his face, and I at that point I honestly didn't feel sorry for him because of the situation that we had been in. So I took the money, and I went and got me a phone. Now, the person that got me the job was his friend, his sister's friend. Mm-hmm. So I was working at Forever 21 at the mall. So after about a few weeks of working at the mall, I guess he shows up because the manager is like, hey, Tori, this um, tall, light-skinned dude with curly hair came on um, Friday looking for you. I was like, 
Okay, she's like, yeah, he had flowers in the car, like he wanted to give them to you. I said, okay, well, what did you tell him? Oh, I told him you work Sunday at 10 a.m. Just be. Oh, no. So I was like, okay. Um, so I kind of was like, okay, maybe it's somebody else because I had I had a, a male friend that was tall and light skin with curly hair. I said, okay, maybe it's somebody else because. Yeah, I, but I just you knew know. it wasn't going to be somebody else. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, okay. I didn't think he was actually going to show up. So before the mall opens, I, I show up before the mall opens to work. When we have our meeting is when we go outside and open the door. Mm-hmm. As soon as we walk out from our stock room, he's standing there waiting for the door to be open with the same flowers and the same card. They said he had on the same outfit. I wouldn't have known. So they're like, okay, you can go to lunch, you know, if you want to talk. And I'm like, no, I do not want to go to lunch. I do not need to. And the the sister's best friend, like, you know, go. She has no idea what ha- happened in the situation. So I'm like, okay, we're in the mall. Let me just go out there and talk to him because it's a safe place. I talked to him. I read the card. It's kind of full of crap. The same stuff. Um, I'm sorry. This will never happen again. I love you so much. And going on and on and on about how our love is this and we're meant to be together. And uh, a bunch of, and then it was embarrassing. So I'm walking with the flowers, and this girl's like, "Oh my gosh, that is so amazing!" I'm just like, "You don't know what is right. going on, right?" So that's, you just never know what's something what's happening in someone's situation. So I read the card, and we sat there for a second. And I tell him that you know I gotta go back to work. He didn't want me to leave. He wanted me to give him a hug. I couldn't touch him. I couldn't look at him. So he stands outside of the store for a little bit, um, just yelling, you know, like you know, come talk to me. Come, I need you. Just multiple things. So I finally let him go, and I went to work. That was um, the last time I saw him. I did run into him a couple years ago at a club, and as soon as I saw him, I just made myself disappear. Um, he called me, I think, my junior year of college. Cause I kept the same number um, to ask to be friends. I told him no. He called me from a number that I didn't, I didn't have his number saved anymore. So I told him no, and it was a very, very quick conversation. I just hung up the phone. Um, so those red flags in my relationship was obviously the controlling who I talked to, the family situations. Um, yeah, there were a lot of family situations where my family were mad because he would pull me away when we were at barbecue right. sometimes mm-hmm. and start a big argument with me. Um, it, it was bad, but now that I think about it, it was one statement that he told me that his dad told him. His dad told him that if your woman doesn't obey you, she's mm. not a good woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I didn't really listen to that. I said that was kind of crazy, but I got that he didn't just come up with this on his own. It was from what his dad had done maybe to his mom because he did tell me that his mom was a little bit abusive to his mom, but they had divorced um, years before I came into the picture. Um, luckily, I didn't have kids with him. I didn't live with him, so it was it was easy for me to get out that relationship after a while, after I realized like, this is not safe. This is not healthy. My grades, um, I almost got kicked out of the school because my grades were so low and it wasn't worth a guy. So that's kind of what drew me into first. I was an intern for Daisis. So I, when I saw domestic and sexual abuse services on the sheet, I said, okay, this is, you know, a chance for me to advocate and get, maybe give my story and help others that are in the same situation as me. And, ended up getting um, the child advocate position. So I love the job. I, I hear stories that are 10 times worse than mine's, but it starts off that small and can lead to turmoil. So would you say that, would you say that come that, that internship and looking at this is the definition of what 
a, a, an abusive relationship is, would that have been the first time you really realized what you had lived through? No. Um, because I didn't call it a domestic violence. I just called it a really, really bad relationship at the time. So I guess, yeah, working for, I knew the definitions and I knew the science to look for afterwards. Mm-hmm. Even but before I, because I didn't start interning here until like my senior year of college. So mm-hmm. after that, I, have, I had already um, gone through things. So one thing I did actually do on campus was I had, I was a part of a dance team, like I said. So I hosted a domestic, it was what was the week? No, it was it was Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, so because I had been through it myself, I decided for my dance team we should host this, and we actually hosted it with a male organization. So me and four other women were on a panel, and we talked about it. Um, so I, I kind of made myself an advocate before I started here, I mean, before, before I started for DASIS, um, and the, um, the feedback we got, because I was a victim of teen dating violence, there is another victim of teen dating violence, there is a victim of sexual assault, and there is a victim of child sexual assault. So uh, that panel um, opened a lot of doors for people to be able to speak to right. those who were on the panel. People right. came up to other people and crying and saying, this is the same story as me. Um, so, yeah. Right. And and one thing to even realize, it's amazing to me the number of times you said we were arguing. Mm-hmm. If your relationship, if most of that time you're not agreeing with each other. Every for right. my, first, my first semester, it was every day. There was not one day we didn't argue. Not one. Even if it was a small argument, it was every single day. That's a um, huge my stress level, point. my emotional. It was. I didn't. I didn't know that I was going through that. I didn't know that mo- my stress level was at an all time high. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea because I, I had saw my mom go through something like that with. He's actually still my stepdad now. They've gotten a whole lot better, but I thought it was it was normal. Right. Um, a normal part of being an adult. You're like you go through these things. You argue. This happens. Sometimes physical stuff happens. I thought that it was normal. Until I noticed that it was affecting my life. For me, it wasn't the physical stuff that affected me the most. It was the emotional. It was the tearing me down, saying that nobody else will love me, saying that he was the only one that cared for me, um, calling me out my names. He degraded my sex sometimes. It 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 was very 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 emotionally draining, and I think that it had an effect on me for a few years. I couldn't really. I wasn't able to date properly. I would look at everyone and like, oh, that's a red flag. Like it was everything that someone did was a red flag because he had damaged my emotions so much. It wasn't the physical stuff. I dealt. I could deal. I feel like I could deal with the physical stuff because I, while I didn't end up, end up in the hospital, there was no permanent bruising. There is one scar stuff on my foot, um, but the emotional stuff because it stays in your mind and replays every single day the mm-hmm. text messages replay every single day the phone conversations still replay i still remember one vivid text message that i can probably never get out of my head mm-hmm. but i'm able to um i've been able to tell my story enough and i've been able to hear people listen to me and um say that they went through it as well to understand i was not alone this happens constantly this happens often and that i could get through it um I started going to church more, actually. I watched a lot of sermons on relationships and um, um, learning about myself. Mm-hmm. So I had, to learn, I had to relearn myself after Absolutely. that relationship. Right, yeah. right. Because you were still in there. I was for a couple of years. I thought I was and I was out, but I had to relearn who I was after mm-hmm. that relationship. Mm-hmm. Tori, would you say there was any type of intervention, whether from a friend, a parent, 
a classmate, a roommate, someone that led you to realize that this was an abusive relationship? There actually wasn't any intervention. There was no one that I had known that I talked to. I did, one of the friends that we went to school with, he did, after we um, kind of dispersed, he messaged me on Twitter one day, was telling me how he thinks I'm in an unsafe relationship. He said, you haven't told me anything, but these signs that I see, you know, he's kind of controlling with you. Um, I don't like the way that he talks to you, that he looks at you sometimes. And it was different coming from a male at the time. Right. You know, I didn't know how to take that. Um, I understood, and I was like, okay, you know, this is kind of, you know, little off but I was like no I'm okay I'll get through it you know I just let him know that I was good um so there was nothing there was no classes there was no I never had looked on a website no one in the family ever talked to me about domestic violence it was it was never talked about at all well people need to talk about it yeah and that's they do. a huge part of what this podcast is hopefully going to do for people so if you're realizing that some of the situations you're finding yourself in are very similar to what Tori's been talking about, please reach out. Our 800 number is 1-800-828-2023 and desasmi.org. We are here all the time. You could talk 20, to Tori even if you yeah, wanted. 24-7. Any, anytime you call that 1-800 number, someone's always going to pick up. So if you are finding yourself in an abusive relationship, and if you have said to a friend or a colleague or a parent, I am not in an abusive relationship, this needs to be something that you really think about. Thank you. Tori, thank you for sharing your story with us. I'm sure some people are realizing themselves in that kind of situation, and others are wondering why people would stay in an abusive situation like that. Um, Debbie is here with us also um, and has some great answers or reasons, not answers, maybe reasons, as to why people stay in an abusive relationship. Right. It's hard to accept that someone claims to love us um, would hurt us. Um, and for this reason, we need to make justifications about why um, we become victims. Many victims, especially teens, has unrealistic um, perceptions about what love means. They may think that they have to fight to maintain an unhealthy relationship rather than give up. Most victims know something is wrong, even if they can't articulate what exactly it is. It may be difficult for teens to understand what an unhealthy relationship looks like if they're not educated about the interpersonal relationship, because so many states have forbidden any kind of education about human sexuality that's not abstinence-only education, increasing the numbers of students who are not getting the word mm -hmm. about how to recognize the signs in, in an unhealthy relationship. Um, teens can be very impressionable, and so what they see in their surroundings, um, they believe it to be normal and um, and just the way relationships goes, as Tori said. Most of the time an abusive relationship starts out um, like, it's a normal relationship. After all, nobody plans to fall in love with a monster. And so what the perpetrator do, they begin grooming the person. It starts out subtle and little. Um, just It's just me and you, you know. Um, no one else understands our love. Um, 
you don't have to talk to your friends. They're not supportive of us. All of that is grooming behavior, isolating behavior, getting that person to only depend on them. And then they begin to gaslight, which is playing mind games. Um, if, if you had only, if you didn't, um, minimizing, denying, and blaming um, the victim for their behavior, now, when we talk about the power and control will, at the center of that will is power and control. That's why the perpetrator is doing what they do. And they will use several tactics to um, gain or maintain that power and control. Those red flags that we talked about are abuse tactics that they will use to gain and maintain power and control. It's when the abuser feels like they are losing control of their victim is when they will then um, resort to physical or sexual violence. And so, and what that does is reinforce the abuse tactics that they've already used. It takes as many as seven times for someone to try and leave a relationship before they're usually able to walk away from that relationship for good. And so sometimes the trying to leave is something big as in packing up and leaving. Sometimes it's just, um, we're not going to talk for a couple of days. We don't know what that looks like. And so when we're intervening in the lives of someone who's in an abusive relationship, we don't know if this is their first time hearing about how to leave a relationship or their sixth or seventh time, and this is going to be it. And so we need to um, respond with compassion and empathy and let them know that there's a better way out there to have a relationship and, and that they can um, take back control over their lives. We've learned a lot today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, please do remember dasismi.org for any kind of help that you need online. Also our 800 number, 1-800-828-2023. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. If you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.